Hello, good morning. I'm Kimmy Griffin, and I am going to read the scripture for today. Um, we have Genesis 2, 1 through 3. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished the work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Jace. I am one of the pastors here. And um, today we're going to be talking about uh, the sacred rhythm of Sabbath. So um, if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Genesis. We'll, we'll float in there for a minute. Um, but we're going to kind of be going around. So um, welcome. Uh, recently, my wife and I had, have had some robust conversations about the very important topic of which kinds of genes are fashionably acceptable in today's world. Um, and honestly, conversations like these must be had because we're no longer like the kids doing what the kids do. We're the like beat down parents now in our 30s um, who wear the same pair of macaroni and cheese encrusted denim three days in a row. So these conversations are fun because they awaken us to the um, little microcosms of cultural value still at work in the world. Um, and we, get, we talk about trends often because that's what trends are. They, they're these little windows into the conglomerate like psychology of a culture. Um, and like denim popularity tells us all sorts of things about the culture's values and opinions and what they're into and the desires. Like, um, so my dad's generation is hell-bent on having like a little bit of breathing room in, in those painter pants. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just all about the breathing room, which is why half of them zip off at the knee and the airflow is so crucial. And there's always that like strap for the hammer, which I guess it's for a hammer. I have never hung a hammer. I have no idea what that is. Um, what I do know though, is that every hole in those pair of pants is well-earned. And to, to spend money on a pair of pants with a hole already in it is a giant waste of money, as I, we've been told countless times. So there you go. That's a little window into the subculture of dads born in like the 50s and 60s or whatever. That's that area. But dudes, so dudes from my generation, on the other hand, we're eager to find a pair of pants that are flattering because we're all pretty vain. But you could also do like squats in them if you need. And they need to taper well at the ankle. Um, they also need to be like durable and good quality. And we need to be able to sit at a computer all day in them, but then also we're on tight budgets. So if we can go to a meeting in them, that would be great too. And then also we're stressed out of our mind about like sustainability and ethical practices. And so, and that's usually expensive. So we usually have like one pair, one pair of really good pants, um, which are made out of like bamboo and corn husk or something <laughs> made by a guy in Portland out of his coffee shop. And <laughs> it costs us like $400, but you know what? <laughs> They're great. They're great pants. So these fashion trends, they indicate like lifestyle, they indicate value, um, and sort of like just sort of general, like ubiquitous desires that are being met somehow in the way we dress. We want something or we need something, and these trends showcase those. So not all trends are created equally. There are some silly and fleeting ones, but there are some that are really important and timely as the little windows that they show us. And so they don't just exist in fashion. We just, so many things are trending. They exist in all spheres, and they exist in the church, too. Um, and so they're always worth paying attention to when we see them in the church. So there's one trend happening right now. There's many, there's many trends happening. 
But there is one trend happening in the church right now that's um, particularly fascinating. Um, For sure, it's happening in the Pacific Northwest Church, but also it's happening in the American church at large, at least in some like theological spheres. But then also the global church. Um, We have access to the global church through the internet and podcasts and whatever else. Um, My sister did cross-cultural mission work in Africa in the UK for half a decade and testified to this, that there is a trend on the rise for the practice of Sabbath. And Sabbath is a weird thing because it's one of those words which when you drop it in the room, it ignites like all sorts of different ideas for people. I don't know what you're thinking. For some, like you immediately picture Old Testament Jewish law. Um, For some, you picture churches like maybe the Seventh-day Adventist. Or me, I grew up Mormon, and so Sabbath just means like the whole city shuts down and I can't jump on the trampoline, which was lame. (laughs) For some, you imagine like a state of being, which is supposed to like permeate every day of the week, and so you don't necessarily see a value in like a single day. And then for some, like you picture a very specific day of the week, which is set aside for specific practices. To to all of this, I just want to say two things. First, there is a global trend happening in the church, this trend of observing Sabbath, and by that I mean like setting aside one day, a specific day of the week for observation. And that's an ancient practice, but the resurgence of that Sabbath practice um, is, is fascinating because like the pants we wear, it's this little window into a desire and a wish and a need at work among the church. And so something is happening in our churches, in our cities, in our country, and in the world for this to be trending. And so that's worth paying attention to. That's why I'm, I'm excited to talk about it today. The second thing is that whatever des- like idea you have about the Sabbath, I just want you to maybe just place them aside on the pew next to you um, and just take a short little journey today with me back into the pages of Scripture where we can just consider it again, consider Sabbath again, and how we might incorporate observation as part of our church's sacred rhythms. So um, let's start by just acknowledging some of the immediate oddities about the Sabbath. Um, The first is it really isn't the most obvious spiritual discipline. Um, Like like you can pray, you can read your Bible, you can even fast if you're feeling really cool and spiritual. But like to set aside a whole day of your week is like for what exactly? Like you'll go to church. That's a Jesus thing to do. That's great. You don't need to do, (laughs) why do we? It's not go crazy. We don't need to do much more than that. Um, And if you're not Jewish, um, it sort of makes sense to maybe skirt by that aspect of the Jewish law. I'm not sure what to do with it. And if you've read your New Testaments at all, you know Jesus was like a little irritated by Sabbath practitioners and the way that they enforced it. So um, you're thinking like, okay, didn't Jesus maybe like do away with that? Like the Sabbath is yesterday's news. Um, And so sentiments like this or statements like this, they're all relatable, but I would suggest that they're a bit reactionary. Um, As most of you know, and for those of you who don't, the Sabbath shows up as the culmination of creation. For six days, God works. He creates and he brings about an ordered world that's flourishing. It's packed with potential. He designs, he builds, he breathes life into its existence. But on the seventh day, he famously rests. Um, The Hebrew verb for rest is shavat, to cease, to stop, and we'll later see it in its noun form, which is shabbat, a word which gets squeezed through the complicated machine of transliteration and translation to land upon our English laps as Sabbath. So I want to notice a couple things here. The verse is up. First, the seventh day of creation, it's the only thing 
in all of creation which is called holy up to this point in the story. Um, which is to say, it's the only thing that's just totally and completely and utterly unique, or at least the Bible calls it that. So that's interesting. The second is, it's the only day which is called blessed. Now, when God blesses something, that's something, it's like his words and his will comes upon something for life and the flourishing of life. So creatures get blessed and humans get blessed. But a day, it's the only day that gets blessed. So no matter which way you slice it, the scriptures ask us to pay attention to this day. And to ignore it is to ignore some sort of like holy blessing at work here. So somewhere in the midst of slavery in Egypt, um, Israel loses connection with these theological roots so that later when Israel receives the law, having come out of slavery in Egypt in Exodus 20, um, we get the famous Ten Commandments. And you'll recall number four. I want you to remember that Sabbath day, remember and observe it, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. And note, note the reasoning behind this commandment. For in six days, the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the point is very simple. Why was Israel to rest? Well, because by God's design, there was a day when work, which is a very good thing, remember, God worked, was just to come to a full stop because that's what God did. So there's often a cartoony picture of God on the seventh day. He worked his big cosmic tail off and he worked up such a sweat, he just had to catch his breath. So he poured himself some iced tea, put his feet up on his footstool, which Isaiah calls, tells us is the earth, right? And then he just kicked back and he rested. But this is definitely a cartoon. The biblical picture is one, resting, it's you're settling in to the goodness of life. To inhale, to exhale, now to enjoy and dwell and live within the abundance. So in Deuteronomy, God tells Israel that ahead of them lies the potential future of resting in the land. What he means is um, you get to go in and enjoy its fruits, appreciating the richness of life, not worrying about the enemies because God took care of those. It's this picture of having done this labor and now really living in it and enjoying what's there. So God wants Israel to do that because he did that. And somehow Sabbath becomes yet another piece of like the divine wardrobe that humans are to put on, Israel specifically, which somehow, when you wear it all, it images out the nature and character of God to the world. And so when Israel moved along the grain of God's universe in obedience, things went well. You can read the book of Ruth, and you can see it in action, how resting and then enjoying letting things rest so others can enjoy, it all results in this flourishing intended by God, and everyone gets like blessed, and like actual blessing happens. But when Israel ignored that wisdom, um, just read the book of Kings, which showcases like an arrogant human mindset, hell-bent on human schemes and works and agenda that they have in mind. Whatever ruler was in power is just like, this is what we're going to do. It always comes to this tragic downfall. So <clears throat> on the one hand, we have work and all that we get fixated on and accomplishing. And so much of it is wonderful and good. Like to be sure, the book of Kings is an extreme example. Most, like we know that work is beautiful and good. God's, God, God does it. 
So we have that on the one hand. But then on the other hand, we have this deep need and desire to let go in order to do that. And then to rest and enjoy what's in front of us. To stop doing in order to enjoy being in a unique way. And so today's point, in its like simplest form, is that there seems to be real, divinely electric wisdom right here for us to grab hold of. That by design, we live better, we strike that balance well when we honor a seven-day rhythm of work and rest that we're made that way. Which means there's a sub-point here. This, isn't, this is about humanity's design for its flourishing, which is to say, like ignoring the holy blessing of a seventh day rhythm will not result in some like crazy judgment out of heaven upon you. It's not gonna take away salvation. In fact, you can live your whole life. You can live decades in total rebellion to the holy blessing of the seventh day. Um, because we're talking about flourishing, not like surviving. Does that make, you can survive without it, but that's barely what it'll be. According to the scriptures, when you live in opposition to it, though, you miss this theological richness present within a rhythm. Therefore, you open yourself up to a life of that survival mentality. Because rather than thriving, you open yourself up to like spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental unhealth because you start to build a life that says, I don't need rest. Like, I'm good. I just like, I work. I'm a workhorse. It's what my parents taught me. We get it done. So a common misconception is that the Jewish Sabbath is not um, for us anymore because Jesus did away with the law. And I, I want to spend some time on this because it is a hang-up. This is how I felt for years, especially after I left the Mormon church. I felt especially zealous for a while to rebel against any form of sabbatical legalism. Like, by golly, I am going to jump on that trampoline on Sunday. <laughs> like, so there, Dad. <laughs> but... Um, Man, I have since humbled myself. That mindset is just weird. It's just odd for several reasons. First of all, to reject the Sabbath because Jesus did away with the law is a little bizarre because it would be the only one of 10 commandments that I've suddenly rejected out of a list of nine I otherwise like really respect and value. It's a very arbitrary decision. Um, theologian, pastor, pastoral theologian Adrian Soboda in his book on the Sabbath said, if a pastor breaks... Any of the other nine commandments, he'd probably get fired. If a pastor breaks number four and works his butt off on the Sabbath, he's probably going to get a raise. That's weird. But besides the oddity of our arbitrary selectiveness when it comes to which laws to obey, the second reason I want to question the mindset that just Jesus did away with the law, therefore we have no need to observe this like special day, is that Jesus himself said he had no intention of abolishing the law. What did he come to do? Yeah, thank you, thank you. He came to fulfill it. So remember that Jesus has this very high view of the law, so much so that he needs to fulfill it. Like, I guarantee you, his view of the law is higher than all of yours. It's certainly higher than mine. He was the man, he was like the man from Psalm 1 who looked at the Torah, the, the law, but also the story of God, which began in Genesis 1 onward, and then he meditated on it. He meditated on it day and night, just chewing on it. And then he did this so much that he was swept up by his scriptures and found his life's purpose within them. So a childhood and a young adulthood meditating on the pages of scripture, that's what Jesus did. Like no, like no doubt in connection with the Holy Spirit and everything else in his community, that led him to his mission to say, oh, 
I need to fulfill this thing. I'm here to fulfill it. Um, but what does that mean? Somehow he felt like it was his job to peel back the layers and discover and showcase for everyone the heartbeat at work inside this thing. And he claimed, Jesus claimed to have found the heartbeat of his Bible. I found it. You guys are missing it. I have it. The driving force of the Old Testament, somehow present on every page, but overlooked by so many. What was the father up to? What was he doing all along through the law of Israel? Like, why do we have to read this story? What's it all about? Jesus says, I, I got it. Do you remember what he said it was? What it all hinges on? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's what's at the core of this whole thing. So the law for Jesus was and is loaded with wisdom on what that looks like. To live well in God's good world is to love him and then to love others. But somehow it all got so warped and lost and Jesus came into a world that was falling heavily towards legalism. And so actually on that, just pause real quick. This is the nature of like planet earth and humans who live on it. We just, we, we're prone to extremes. Human cultures often tend toward rigid legalism on the one end, um, or, or on the other end, we become so obsessed with personal freedom and autonomy that we come to hate discipline and accountability blech, and authority. Blech. First century Pharisaical Israel was legalistic. 21st century America swings the other way. And so Jesus lived in where? First century Israel. So he critiqued a worldview which relied upon the law to provide something it was never meant to give. But ours is a culture which lusts after like the freedom of selfishness or to do whatever we want, whenever we want. So here's the, here's the kicker though. At the heartbeat of that, at the heart, sorry, at the, in the middle of the heartbeat of God lies right there in the scriptures for us. And Jesus will forever challenge us to place the scriptures and the wisdom therein right here and think on what it means for our culture to contextualize it. So we, we have to take Jesus' lead. What's the spirit he's getting at? Does observance of the Sabbath somehow like make you more righteous before God, like somehow provide you salvation? No, of course not. Like neither does, are you saved by refraining from stealing your neighbor, from your neighbor. The grace of God in Jesus alone pro provides the salvation we require, but there is something within the Torah for us. Can we take the, like a page out of Jesus's book and then somehow become enraptured with the wisdom and the heartbeat seen inside that story? So the Ten Commandments are a great example of where we see them so clearly, the, like the heartbeat of God at work within that. And it's, and it's not hard to see. In the Ten, you can see this imperative to love God. And then through those actions in the Ten Commandments, you're loving your neighbor. Don't murder, don't steal, like don't commit adultery. We, they're intuitive. And you understand, oh, I see how this is all working out. So if we can entertain the notion that there is wisdom, some sort of wisdom in this seven-day rhythm for humans when we actually set one day aside, then what might it look like? Some might say, well, Sabbath should just be Sunday. That's the Lord's day. That's when we go to church. So that's our special day. Or some might say, well, I observe it on Saturday. Um, that's when I'm off work and I just chill out. And to both, I say, great. I, I don't, great. I don't care. However, I do have a question, which is good for asking, I think, right now. Are, are those days holy? And um, by that, I mean totally unique, set aside, set apart. Because after church, when you go home, is it a day for house projects and football and grocery shopping and meal prepping and paying bills and frankly, anything that just needs to get done before school and work on Monday and which also might spill over into Monday, if you're honest. And if it's Saturday, 
Like, yes, you're off, but are you also like mowing the lawn and painting the bathroom and binging Netflix and going to the movies? And is it all like holy or unique unto God as the Bible would suggest you ought to consider it? Whoa. <laughs> come Lord, come, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, so what, what came as um, an absolute paradigm shift for Michaela and me was sort of discovering anew that the Sabbath was never intended to... <laughs> Sorry, Marshall. <laughs> uh, I don't mind a little breeze. It's fine. Whatever you want. Um, what came as an absolute paradigm shift for Michaela and me um, was discovering anew that the Sabbath was never intended to merely be just like chilling, like the cartoony picture of God with the iced tea. Um, it's not just a day off. It's a holy day, a consecrated one which means like totally unique for a different purpose. So think of Israel coming up out of Egypt. Israel was called to be called a holy nation, but what is it, how does that work? That did not mean that they were to merely stop being slaves for, the, for Egyptian rule. They were actually to be made holy, which means dedicated to now God for a unique purpose. You came out of that, now I want you oriented to this. It's a two, thing, two things have to happen there. And so it's separated from and dedicated to, which is why we miss out on something when we just say, on Saturday, we lounged. So that's my Sabbath. And trust me, like we, like my family, we have lived out dozens of Sabbaths over the years in this way. So again, I, there's tons of grace in today's sermon, but just hang with me. When Sabbath, though, is lounging exclusively, it is adopting this mindset of like coming up out of Egypt, but then not fully making it to Sinai, where your hearts and minds are turned toward God in a unique way. Does this make sense? So you stop working, but you don't start resting. Um, and to participate in the spiritual discipline of real time, seventh day Sabbath is to like align yourself, body, mind, soul, to the worship of the creator God in a way that's entirely unique and set apart from the other days of the week. So my plan for the rest of the time, um, and I've got a lot to say, so I'm gonna try to hurry here, is to go pretty practical. This is probably the most practical sermon I've ever preached. Um, no, like, crazy clip art today. Sorry. Um, but it's just like, of what this could look like in your homes. Um, before we begin, because uh, I'm the king of them, three quick disclaimers, three of them. Number one, I'm going to talk from experience today and talk about how we've tried to observe Sabbath as a family over the past four years. But please note that the Schwartzes did not come with any come up with any of these practices. We have been learning from leaders of the faith who've gone before us, both modern and ancient. Um, and rather than bombarding you with a hundred different resources, we'll just keep recommending Ruth Haley Barton's book, Sacred Rhythms, as just a great companion for you. If you haven't got it and you're interested, please just get it and read the chapter on Sabbath. It's awesome. She did a great job. Disclaimer number two, as we move into application, I will be the first to admit we are now in the land of like the rolling gray hills of contextualized ambiguity. Like what is restful for me might not be fully restful to others. And what some people say about Saturday, other people want to say about Sunday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So before I say another word, I just want to set a stage of grace here. The practice of the Sabbath is to be done in freedom. Jesus' biggest critique of Sabbath practitioners was that they forgot what the Sabbath was for, the restoration and flourishing of humans, of mankind, where, where, where humans image out God as he enjoys creation as it ought to be. So to quote Jesus, the Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. By turning it into this weird, like suffocating law, 
They've already missed the point. And so I'm not speaking a lot over you today. I'm just telling you my very short, very small experience in hopes of it being some sort of idea generator in your own home. And number three, disclaimer number three, the heart of the Sabbath comes from the Jewish scriptures, but I'm not Jewish. And our Sabbaths have been like wildly Gentile sometimes. We literally went through a whole phase where we had BLTs on the Sabbath. Um, <laughs> sorry. But my conviction, <laughs> my conviction is that like both Jew and Gentile, <laughs> as it should be all of our conviction, we've been like brought, given access to the love of God and the wisdom of the scriptures through the Old Testament Messiah that has been foretold, Jesus. <laughs> like it is ours in a way. Um, so uh, I, that's why there's a ton of grace around this. <laughs> I'm not giving you like a strict Jewish Sabbath. Okay, so here we go. What does it look like? Let's get practical. As much as I try to shy away from turning things into steps, blech, there's just a lot of value of turning this into some steps today. So here we go. Let's get started. Step one, you need to pick a day or a chunk of time. I would recommend doing this for real once a week, and you need to consider Sabbathing. Um, again, grace upon grace, but over the past four years and for a varying amount of like weeks and months for each, uh, my family and I, we practice Sabbath on like Mondays after work to Tuesday mornings, Wednesday after work to Thursday mornings, Sunday afternoons to Monday mornings, and now we're f finally trying to practice it on Saturday as a whole. Full confession, for the first three years, we never experienced a full 24-hour Sabbath, which began at sundown on the night before and ended at sundown the next day. That's how the Jews would have observed it observed it Friday night to Saturday night. That rhythm honestly can just be really tricky because the truth is we don't live in a Jewish environment where the social, social cultural understanding is that you don't plan stuff on, on Saturday, on Sabbath. Instead, ours is a culture where responsibilities pop up all the time on Saturdays, um, even if you don't want them to. And the, our text threads and chains and emails, they're popping up at like dinner time. Ugh, and it's just, it's all the time, it's constant. It's really hard. I understand this is really hard. Um, but here's the point. Like, seriously, pick a time, pick a day, and just do the best. Start little. Start small with the schedule you have. And then next, ask the question, like, how is this different? Once you've picked a time, whether it's six hours or 24 hours, then you have to ask yourself, how can this be made holy unto God? How is it different from the rest of my week? Unlike any other day. So currently, my family does practice Sabbath on Saturday, and I'm just going to walk you kind of through what the day looks like, um, um, which, which are different from, uh, well, we've gone through different iterations and versions, which I'll touch on a little bit. I really want to set the stage for accessible, like, en entry points everywhere. But um, it used to be Monday to Tuesday, and it was very different, but these, some sort of version of what I'm about to say was taking place on that day as well. So you can kind of use your imagination. First, we try our best to light a candle and sing us some sort of hymn to dedicate the time ahead. Um, when, we remember, when we remember, and when we're like not so beat down with like the throes of bedtimes and toddlers and everything, we try to end the day like this as well. Um, there is something special at the sight of a small like flickering flame to help you remember the quiet, restful spirit of God among us. Abraham Joshua Heschel says, when all work is brought to a standstill, the candles are lit. So this is the beginning of Sabbath. That's how we start. Just as creation began with the word, let there be light, so does the celebration of creation begin with the kindling of lights. It's beautiful. It's simple. But I guarantee you, you guys, m most of you aren't in the habit of like 
really lighting one candle, gathering around and singing a hymn every day, all the time. That's not what you do most days. It's special, and it orients your heart. Um, on the best days, we've accompanied this flame with a time of reading aloud a poem or a scripture, which um, is sort of spoken over the day ahead as a time of calming blessing. Um, any scripture will do, <laughs> but I usually just, whatever God's been talking to me, like whatever scripture's on my heart, we'll do that same scripture for like a month or two months. We'll just keep doing that to start our Sabbath or and then we'll switch gears with freedom, whatever we want, but just to sort of bless and get the day going. Um, the morning candle is usually followed by a special breakfast. Our kids love Sabbath waffles. Like, don't get Liv started on Sabbath waffles. She'll talk your ear off. And when we're on our game, man, it really is like the sweetest time where we're present with each other. And we know that like our mere undivided presence with each other is worshipful to God because we're enjoying what he's given us. And the act of turning off my phone and giving my child undivided eye contact for a really long time during breakfast is as good as any worship song. I believe, I believe that. Um, which brings me to something that um, really sort of showcases that the spirit of Sabbath must be nuanced and there's freedom to do so within our context, which is Sabbath is a great day to rethink technology. Again, this is all invitational. And to the parents of young kids in the room, I weep with empathy for you. Like grace upon grace, may you feel nothing but just like joyful curiosity and may you be kept far from guilt. But if for six days of the week, we have a certain relationship with our screens, then on the seventh day, there is a chance to consider doing something else, which might like reach deeper into the souls for our purpose of resting and loving God and loving others. Um, another confession, man, like we are just in the thick of that season as parents where we're, we're like full attention. And I mean like full attention with my children with no end in sight is actually like the quickest way to drain, to drain, to drain your energy. You're like, okay, I've watched this trick like 45 times, you know, you know that feeling, man. And I love my kids. You guys, like I adore my kids. I would do anything for them. But like also I'm a finite creature and children are not, they're infinite creatures. <laughs> they, infinite. And so like Mick and I have found that like turning on a special movie for them on the Sabbath is like a wonderful bit of grace we've enjoyed just to give us a chance to sit uninterrupted and enjoy a cup of tea on the couch. Glorious, absolutely glorious. And I feel like God's like totally cool with it. I don't, I'm not worried about it. And I'll defend that decision for the day I die. Like similarly, we don't have like family movie parties every night of the week. Um, but on Sabbath, it's this really great time to enjoy a story together and talk about it through the medium of film where we like pop popcorn. And it's like, it doesn't happen all the time, but it is this wonderful time spent together as a family on the Sabbath. Um, it's just the season of life we're in. It probably won't always be like that, but for right now, it's sweet. Um, and I'm, I, again, I'm just not interested in coming under like the shackle of the Sabbath. It's about teasing out something else out, the freedom. Um, Sabbath is a great day for naps. Um, this probably cannot be overemphasized. It's a day of rest. So some of us work really labor-intensive jobs. I know I don't need to ask you twice. Um, but the rest of us, we work jobs where we're like men mentally and emotionally just exhausted. Sleep is a gift. And so to take part in it is to let go and to be okay knowing that you can't control or work or do anything, but you just get, gotta rest. So Mick and I rotate duties with the kids. If you're parents, I really recommend rotating duties where she'll hang with the kids and be present with them while I nap, and then we switch. And we just give each other a chance to sleep. Um, here's one, don't work. Like, just don't do it. Um, for each person, working is so different. 
Um, but for me, like for me, it's best if I just stay off my computer, even if I really want to write or do something creative. Sometimes I like, I'll do it on a notebook because like a, the work just signals something to my brain. Um, but on the Sabbath, like it's beyond life-giving for me, for example, to go out and pot around in the garden, just like deadhead flowers. Like we're almost to that part of the year. Not really. We're still a far, long way off, but we're close, I think. Um, but if you're like a full-time gardener, I, I don't know who you are. Um, but if that's you, like, it, maybe don't do that on your Sabbath. Like, just sit on your patio and enjoy the flowers. Just really, really, really enjoy them. Just stare at them. Ruth Haley Barton weighs in. What constitutes work? We need to pay attention to whether a particular activity triggers our activism and our need to be productive in order to feel worthwhile or our feelings of indispensability. Yard work may be restful for some, but for others, it is one more thing to... Um, check off the to-do list. And that's not what Sabbath is about. Real discernment is needed to recognize these inner dynamics and making Sabbath decisions accordingly. Here's another reason why Sabbath is great. It forces you to ask those questions, which is really healthy. A good way to figure out what's work and what's not, chat with the people who are closest to you. If you start justifying work as rest simply because you're antsy, they'll let you know. Right, Andrew Thorzik? They'll let you know. So don't, don't worry. Uh, here's the next one. Don't, don't worry. Um, we all know that Jesus said not to worry. Um, so some of you might rightfully push back and be like, shouldn't we just refrain from worrying all the time? Y yeah, totally. We should. But do we? The Sabbath is like this gift for us to really practice restraint, actively practice restraint. On the Sabbath, you have permission to tell yourself and those in your life, like, hey, today, we're not going to talk about how we need to schedule a cleaning for the septic tank. Just not going to talk about it. Monday Jace will think about that. And actually, Wednesday Jace has to think about that this week. Yikes. Sabbath is God's special gift to you. So it's, it's, he, he's just given you permission to wake up and say, you know what? I think God is in control today. And of course, I hope we do that every day. But the hard reality is we just don't. We so often spend our days fretting and worrying and never force ourselves to like sit down and try to embody our theology, a theology that places God, or at least it ought to, as king over everything. On the Sabbath, though, you force yourself to do it. And that's a free gift, the act of you forcing yourself to do it. Jace, today you're going to rest, no matter how guilty you feel that you're not being more productive or doing a hundred other things. Today, you have permission to remember that God is God and you're not God. And he doesn't need you, Jace. He wants you. So you don't need to do anything. In fact, you should just maybe sit down and eat a cookie or something. Let's start there. And I'm like, okay, I feel so guilty. Here's a practical one if you have kids. Um, special Sabbath toys. Any toy will do. Just tell them they can't have it except for one time a week. <laughs> And it's like magic. It's crazy. You will, like, you will help foster such a spirit of excitement and anticipation for the Sabbath with, like, a toy. Um, man, like, a roll of duct tape. I kid you not. A roll of duct tape has become the greatest gift in our house because it's a road on the carpet for cars. And that road can go anywhere. It's amazing. It's like, it's a roll of duct tape. And it's now, like, it could be a Sabbath toy that will, it's just off the charts fun. And I believe that like play and fun are a major part of enjoying God and being with him and just like loving others. But the duct tape, it comes out, but once a week, you know, um, eating, eating is a really big deal in the Bible. There's so much like theological weightiness to eating. 
Um, so consider what it would look like to make, your, to make your meals unique on this day. For some, this might mean a really beautiful, elaborate, special dinner, the preparation and cleanup of which is all done in total joy and peace. No stress, all love, total delight. If that's you, you can move into our house any day you want. For us, though, in this season, like, <laughs> no thanks. Sabbath meals are um, only restful if, like, we really just prepare, if they're marked by preparation. So preparing them Friday, like the simplest meals, prepared a day in advance, that's what makes them special and unique and that's what makes our Saturdays nice is like we're not thinking about it in the middle of meltdown time. Like, oh, what are we going to cook for dinner and who's going to do the dishes? Um, so either way, like when you eat, take delight in your food as being what it is. Food right there in front of you for you to eat. It's amazing. And it's, if you picked it out of your garden, like, oh my word, how much more glorious that that's what you're doing. Thank God for that special meal. Sing songs around the table, laugh and enjoy as you eat. Sabbath is a great day to be intimate as a married couple. Um, if life has become too hectic, I don't need to elaborate here, but this is a gift from God. Um, Sabbath is a great day to take quiet walks, to slow your mind down by reading poetry or like a really good book or listening to music that restores your soul. It's a day to stop. But basically, what avenue gets you to the place where you stop and you appreciate every last little thing while you say, wow, God, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. In springtime, thank God for the daffodils. When you see a yellow daffodil, that's unreal. They just sit under the ground all winter, and then they pop up for you to enjoy. But if you walk too fast, you miss them. Thank you, God. Time with your friends. So if you're single and you live alone, Sabbath is a great day to prioritize making short trips to visits of those who fill up your heart, who give you life. If you're able and they're able, consider talking about making that a rhythm. There's no need to be alone if you can have friends that you weekly, consistently meet with to pour into each other. Hey, it's our Sabbath day. We always meet for coffee on our Sabbath day. Such a gift. Pop by their house and um, invite them into that rhythm with you. And if all you do is chat with people all week, if your job is just to be socially present, then feel the Lord's favor on the Sabbath as you lock yourself in a closet with a good book. Just like... Rest, go sleep in a dark closet. I don't care. God doesn't care. I think he was all for it. Um, to reference A.J. Swoboda again, he calls Sabbath opposite day. As far as opposite gets you thinking about what it looks like, what your normal week looks like, and then what a unique day to contrast that would look like. And so at the end of the day, I, man, I really do just preach a Sabbath practice executed in total freedom. I'm a big proponent of heaps of grace and joy and freedom when it comes to incorporating it into your rhythms with lots of relaxed rules that ebb and flow like weekly. But, when, but what we find, at least my family, what we found is that um, the more intentional we are to not let the day just happen passively, but to get ready for it in the, in the, in the Jewish sense, really anticipate it and get ready, prepared. The more we do that, like the, the more we really are like rested at the end of it. And a good Sabbath day is more restful than any three-day weekend in, the, in American culture because it's unique. It's so different. And it's like so worth the fight on the front end um, because weekends, you guys, they're great. I hope they don't go anywhere, anytime in my lifetime. I love them, but they're, they're not holy. They're just, often they're as frantic, if not more frantic 
than, than the normal work day. It's kind of like how we all get excited for summer because we're going to take a break, and then we get to summer, and it's like the craziest your life has ever been because you just go, 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 go. That's like what the weekend is. And so one thing we've realized in practicing the Sabbath, and I count it up, we've done, we've done roughly 200 Sabbaths now. We've learned a ton along the way is that they are hard work on the front end, like unapologetically, um, but, they, um, but they're worth it. And as you get started, if you are willing to do it, um, they're surprisingly anxiety-inducing at first. And so I just want to warn you, and then we'll end on a high note here. But if you're a workaholic or even just a goer and a doer, you'll start to get the shakes come about hour six on the Sabbath because you're telling yourself, hey, like, we don't need to always be going. If you're addicted to your phone or TV, which who isn't, you'll struggle at first. It's hard. You'll get bored. If you're worried people are going to try to get a hold of you, that you're going to be needed, that the world is upon your shoulders, um, that you're going to let someone down if you don't text back, Sabbath is going to be hard for you. Um, maybe the Sabbath means that you tell people no. And I know what you're thinking. Like, Jesus helped people on the Sabbath. Like, totally, totally. And you know what the disposition of Jesus' heart was? He loved the Father, and he loved others. Um, Sabbath was for man, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus got it. He figured out how to rest in the Father and do that on the Sabbath. But if you're someone who's just doing and doing and doing, never breaking, never breathing, worrying, frantic, trying to solve everyone's problems, I guarantee you your ministry does not look like Jesus's. And if, and if on the Sabbath there is someone to love and you know you're the one to give that person some love, then my goodness, feel God's pleasure over you as you do it. That's what it's for. You delight in it. You've been brought into the spirit of the Sabbath and you, that relationship is right on your doorstep for you to do that with. Great. Um, but if you're like a zealous follower of Jesus who feels like there's just too much work out there to do in the kingdom it, for you to rest, I just would invite you to pause. Like the Sabbath will be a challenge for that mindset because it reminds you there is only one king of the universe. Concerning all this, Ruth Haley Barton says, God is the only one who is infinite. I am not God. God is the only one who never sleeps. And this is pretty basic stuff, but many of us live as though we don't know it. If we dig down a little deeper, we may see that our unwillingness to practice Sabbath is really an unwillingness to live within the limits of our humanity and to honor our finiteness. We cling to some sense that we are indispensable and that the world cannot go on without us for even for a day. Or we feel that certain tasks and activities are more significant than the delights that God is wanting to share with us. This is a grandiosity that we indulge to our peril. So if you're a planner and you like to think about tomorrow, the Sabbath will freak you out because you're practicing the act of taking a break from planning. Plan for the day after the Sabbath, the day before the Sabbath. Pro tip. But it's not just hard for workaholics. Like if you're a slothful person, the Sabbath will be hard because you're stripping yourself of all of your crutches. You might feel incredibly bored without Netflix. Like what the heck are you going to do if you can't go shopping on Amazon if you stop doing that? If you can't binge TV or run errands or scroll TikTok or whatever you do? The challenge to make the seventh day holy will be just as challenging for the workaholic and the sloth. So while being a balm for my soul, 
Sabbath also behaves like this sort of magnifying glass to the areas of my heart which are still so horribly immature. I can testify to this almost weekly. I experience this. It exposes in me where I've just absolutely distracted myself on every other day. It shows me how unrestful, like unpeaceful and untrusting I can be. And if I can't do this for a day, like why would I think I can carry the Sabbath freedom every day with me because Christ like fulfilled the law and gave that to me? It's like, I can't even do it for a day. <laughs> why do I think I'm carrying it with me all the time? Um, <clears throat> so, some of you are like, I, I don't know, I'm guessing. Some of you are on the fence for several reasons. The first is like logistically. Like it is a logistical nightmare to try to incorporate this into your life. When do you do it? You work three jobs or, or you work at weird times. You have busy weekends and you have rigid obligations. You might be thinking like, we can't just set that side of time, set, set that time aside, Jace. Like who has a Wednesday afternoon to Thursday morning to spare, let alone a full Saturday. And speaking of Saturdays, like our culture plans all sorts of activities on that day, like we said. And so if you do that, you become a weird social problem for all of the people you're connected with. What if you're single and it sounds lonely? What if you're a single parent and it sounds exhausting? Some of you are actually in really tricky, tricky situations. And so all of this is like pie in the sky. You're thinking like, Jace, <laughs> what a privileged thing to try to be putting upon us right now. Like I work six days and all I have is one day and it has to be the day that I get my stuff done. Or some of you are taking trips back and forth to the hospital in this season. Or like you can't even get across the other side of the room without one of your four children screaming at you. Like, sounds nice to have a cup of tea on the couch for two hours, but <laughs> I don't think it's possible. Um, I just want to humbly acknowledge um, all the pain in the room right now. Because I actually think there is a lot of actual pain underneath that. Because your bodies crave the rest, but you've you can't find it. And so you're hurting probably in ways more than you, maybe you know yourself. Um, but even right now, my prayer is that God comes upon you in that and that you feel no burden, but you've just start to feel a Sabbath rest upon you. Um, and to all of those things, as sensitive as I can be, I just want to suggest uh, two things. The first is whoever you are, um, not to give you homework, but I do think that if you like, just try to read Barton's book, oh, that chapter alone, you can ask me for it. Um, if you consider it, you'll find that there's nuance and grace in these things more than I can communicate in 40 minutes, okay? Number two, Sabbath is trending right now um, for a reason. We are living in unprecedented times of weird, like nebulous work culture where we never really stop going. Like all of us have bought into this lie in some way or another that we just can't, we can't rest. Sabbath is trending among Christians, I believe, because it's one of the most important ways that we're gonna live countercultural to the trends of our world. And I believe that even in the chaos of our lives, some of you are in real genuine chaos, by the way, God still wants to give you this gift. It's still a gift he wants to give. And I want to remind you that during those times of wandering in the desert and during the times of exile, even then, when Israel was at her absolute worst, her most panic-ridden, destitute state, she was commanded to Sabbath. Especially then, she was commanded to Sabbath. Why? Well, because when you Sabbath, you open up this portal into heaven despite your circumstances where you, you 
tell the world and all that's coming against you, no, today I trust God. I'm not God and I trust him. Sabbath is the physical embodiment of trust in time. That your circumstances, good or bad, and your work, no matter how noble it is, are not the end-all be-all of who you are. Ruth Haley Barton said, who would we be, who would I be if I trusted like this for 24 hours once a week? Um, I want to invite everyone to stand. And Mr. Team can come up. I'm just going to end just by saying this, just a little invitation, and then we'll spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit. But when Mick and I started like creeping towards adopting this practice, we did so just like once a week in the evenings. It was just six hours. Um, but even that was good. And then pretty soon, um, though we wanted, we wanted to see it play a more prominent role, and it eventually turned into longer chunks of time, and sacrifices were made that were totally worth it. Such blessing in the end. Um, but that's us, and it took time. And so for some of you, I just want to, like, say this is a weird, like, spiritual discipline to try and, like, you can't, like, practice it right now or do anything. It's just going to require some conversations at home and with your friends. And I just want to say a blessing over that. As you consider what it would be like to have a day or a time of the week that is holy and blessed, um, may the Spirit guide you. May He lift you and, and carry you through that because it's so important. So, Marsha, you want to come up?